proud to present our excellent star, the one, the only, The Pyramid of Darkness, Part 3. Three Cubes to Darkness. Tomax is captured by G.I. Joe, causing his identical twin brother, Zamot, to plan on rescuing him before Cobra can activate the final cube in the Sea of Lost Souls. Shipwreck and Snake Eyes find an ally in a pops... What? Wait, this is the synopsis for Episode 4. That's a problem. Oh, Wikipedia, you failed us. <laughs> you failed the city. That's, that's weird. No, it's not. Wikipedia <laughs> screwed up. Oh. Bad Wikipedia. You guys, you guys, you hundred people across the world editing all those hundreds of pages. But in any case, uh, Shipwreck and Snake Eyes find an ally in a pop singer named Saturn who helps them escape Cobra's troopers in Enterprise City. Hmm... Some of that happened. There's a little town I know called Enterprise City. We are dealing with three cubes to darkness. That's correct. Then this is the correct sum. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's the where one they go to where... The, where they actually go to the City of the Dead. Yeah, where they go to City of the Dead. You see, part two should be the title for part three. Oh, um, what a rendezvous in the city of the dead. And then finally, episode four kind of gets it right because it's chaos in the sea of lost souls. That's the right title. Because you see, I think further adventures of Jojo is the wrong title for episode one. Episode two, okay. they kind of you just basically didn't come up with titles for the first two. Whew. Okay, cool, dude. You can do this. Deep breath. It appears I need to issue a retraction. The Pyramid of Darkness did not originally air on the 15th of September 1985, but rather the 16th of September 1985. With that in mind, we now delve into Part 3, Three Cubes to Darkness. Original air date, September 18th, 1985. Written by Ron Friedman, with John Gibbs and Terry Lennon chalking up the directorial credits. And in this episode, I just have to kick us off with a song. Ooh. Cobra that got away, changed my life one rainy day. On our first rendezvous, we held hands and I heard him say, If you want a romance from me, you're barking up the wrong tree. Cause Destro has the first call on my life, time and all. When he shouts, so Cobra fights, a war by day, go by night. Goodbye, men, I've had to say, Cobra that got away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Cobra that got away went bye-bye, no more to say. He stuck me with the bill, but I think of him still. Honestly, dudes. <laughs> This Hold on, I just, I just did like a is, bazillion windmills now. Hold on, I just gotta catch my breath, dude. <laughs> Don't forget your six step and your backspin. Oh, guys, this episode sure. is outrageous. It's, I think it's worth mentioning that Steven is fresh off of a very successful on stage tour of West Side Story. I'm is a that singer, right? can't you tell? 
singer, can't you tell? That, that was a professional at work. <laughs> well, it's better than satins, dude. Like, yeah. seriously. <laughs> well, wait, you're knocking satin already? Right yeah, sorry, dudes. I, I had to lead with that because, well, I mean, I think, Kukjo, you put it best when you told me that uh, this miniseries has <laughs> more musical numbers than it has actual fights. I don't think the numbers quite add up to that. It certainly is alarming that we see this in G.I. Joe, a TV show about counterterrorism. <laughs> well, it's just fascinating, I think, you know, that there are so many songs in this. How does this particular chapter open up? Hmm. Well, we, we were left wondering at the end of the last episode if Lady Jane Flint actually really did drown in that Ah, yes. Goo. In that red goo. Yes, apparently no, they did not, because we all forgot Lady J has incredible spears that will basically have any property she wishes them to have. She's kind of like the green arrow of, of G.I. Joe. Some might say Hawkeye, yeah. but Why? DC and Marvel. I'd say green arrow as well. See, green arrow. Thank you very much, Paul. Boom. Well, that, yeah, <laughs> free New 52. But anyway, um, she has a magic air bubble spear. That creates a hard-shelled air bubble around them. It's, in fact, mud, right? We're not sure what the hell that substance is that they're in. It's very confusing. It's pink, quick, sandy, liquid, gooey, cold, warm Wild stuff. Bill does drop a hint as to its properties mm. when he says that he's concerned that Flint and Lady J will boil if they don't oh. get rescued quickly enough. So it's kind of intense because that means, I mean, they went in there and they're being boiled alive before <laughs> she extends this air bubble around them. But the cool thing about this, even yeah. though that's completely improbable, but I mean, what do you expect from the G.I. Joe cartoon series? They have a really nice touching moment while they're in there. Stop making excuses yeah. for this show, man. <laughs> like It's a kid's show. Tear it a new one. If, if, Rod, if Rob's saying something good, I'm like, let him be. Let him do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think the moment that they're in that bubble is officially when the Pyramid of Darkness miniseries begins. Because you have your first love story arc, right? Yes, I think so. I mean, it's been here. I mean, there's some point. obvious tension. Yeah, and she even has, like, those few brief um, animation, like, cells of her being, like, blushing. And then... She seems to be more comfortable with approaching a relationship than Flint. Yeah, because he kind of makes it more, like, jokey. Like, especially like the last episode, he's like... She's not just a, a woman. She's my teammate. She's the... No, Joe! <laughs> but yeah, I think you're right. I mean, she seems to actually be pursuing this as much as, as Flint is. Well, that's nice of the writers to be so progressive as to have the lady being uh, uh, more uh, you know, proactive. What exactly did you mean by this is where the Pyramid of Darkness really kicks off? Cujo. I just mean, like, before this, it's just a bunch of random folks running around. Now you have people that care about each other, so you got something. Oh, it has nothing to do with Flint pitching his pyramid. <laughs> it's nicely <laughs> done, brother. <laughs> nicely done. Um, <clears throat> well, my time mean, out in Southern California has served me well. And I mean, not, not even just their kind of love story. I mean, I actually kind of get more, more stuff happening in the Snake and Shipwreck story. Now they're in this incredibly bad neighborhood of Enterprise City. They're trying to get out of there. But they go into the Snake Cafe. <laughs> and they have this lovely interaction with the, the maitre d'. 
Where he's like, <laughs> I'm not letting you in your thirst pits. What about this if I give you these dollars? <laughs> well, I forgot about the uh, parrot, but I still see the wolf. <laughs> I don't see no parrot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then Shipwreck falls in love. Well, he calls the guy a chump after the guy lets him in. Yeah, he yeah, does. Yeah. I mean, it's like... Why antagonize <laughs> the guy? He just lets you in. Because he's a chump? <laughs> like, the logic doesn't follow. Like, why tip the guy and then be rough with him? Like, you've just wasted your money then, Shipwreck. Chump? Just chump? Lead, lead with the fist, man. It might have been the best yeah. reading of chump ever, though. I mean, the way he says it is pretty classic. It is pretty classic. Let's, let's have a drop of that right now. Let's hear that. This ain't no hotel. Okay, forget that. But I ain't seen nobody with no parrot, no dog. Uh, what parrot? What dog? Yeah, well, I don't see no bird no more. But I still see a dog. Funny, that little doggy just disappeared. Uh, take any table you want. Thanks, jump. Jump. Oh yeah. Oh, I dropped. I like. Truly it. dropped. That that's some so good tasty. Chump change right there. And yes, yeah, so the song that Stephen uh, so beautifully did a beautiful rendition of plays at this moment, and and they kind of work it into the whole story, where like Cobra is trying to find them, like. We're going to find them. Where are they inside this, this club? Oh, sir, let's just, you know, let's look for the people with, with pets. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> sound of music all over again, right? Yes. It's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, like, let's face it. The Cobra blue shirt is a stone's throw away from, like, a jackbooted Nazi. And they have a guy in a trench coat called Colonel Slash. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and another guy... He's the number one guy. Well, Colonel Slash, exactly. And his unnamed cohort, who we can only uh, muse that he, he is called number two. So Slash and number two are uh, waiting for their opportunity to seize upon Snake Eyes, Shipwreck, and their animal companions. But... Slash is nice enough to actually wait till the end of the song. <laughs> but then he changes his mind. But in the meantime... Snake Eyes and Shipwreck managed to get up on stage and take part in a can-can. And Snake Eyes reveals what he is able to do after years of ninja training. He's an incredible breakdancer. Yeah, like, no, he, he reveals that he is an incredible Asian stereotype before Asian people were stereotyped as breakdancers. <laughs> Not that he's Asian, mind you. Wow, it's prophetic. The ninja is doing... You know, break dancing and, and and all that. You know, this is. You well, know. back in the day, did you guys have people roll out like tile at recess and start break dancing? Yeah, all the time, dude. It was like dance walls here, man. No, not a fucking chance. It never happened. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, we like, don't even have a. <laughs> if if Snake Eyes breaks out like a bunch of kick ass moves and he just shows out, like all of a sudden you're like, that is the man. Like that, that's basically that's probably the high point of the series for me. <laughs> well, it's just so unexpected, I think, as well. These well, soldiers his, put in and this... Timber's acting like the hype man in the background. He's like flexing and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Timber just continues to prove how incredible he is and how versatile as a character. It's, he's, it's a, he's, 
I mean, could, could we make that argument? Could I argue that, that that might be the high point of the series right there? It's certainly well, one of the it, most memorable. Yes. Uh, but I have to admit it's, it's a personal low for me. Oh, yeah. Because it is so cringeworthy for me. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, agreed. Agreed. But considering what we have Snake Eyes doing in scenes to come, like, the series isn't quite tainted yet. And you're like, oh, okay. Snake Eyes just broke dance. Like, Look, one of the strengths of the G.I. Joe writing, at least, is that these characters are presented as adult, rational human beings. You switch tracks and, and look at uh, cartoons of around this time. You look at He-Man or Thundercats or even later tunes like Mask. You get adult characters that sometimes behave like children, sometimes act completely uh, uh, irrationally. Uh, G.I. Joe doesn't do that, except in these few instances, which really, really irk me. Like, no, no, Snake Eyes is not a breakdancer. It's just completely zany, off-the-wall stuff. He did grab the spotlight at the end, though, didn't he? He did that kind of, like, embrace the crowd. <laughs> he, he was really into it. Oh, dear. He missed his calling. Clearly, he should have been a performer. Exactly. He was yeah. pretty happy with himself. <laughs> he was he was exceptionally happy with himself. But, so, but you guys you guys glossed over shipwreck and love that moment too. Oh, wow. Yeah, shit, uh, shipwreck. I'm not sure if it's so much in love <laughs> or is in lust. Because I mean, like, okay. is it? I mean, okay, maybe love at first sight. But I mean, he was quite smitten with her. I I, I will. It was it was a matter of seconds, and that guy was hip now. Yeah. In it. She certainly gave as good as she got, because why the hell would she try and help him in the first place? It must have been love at first sight. What is it? The beard? The tattoos? The teacup hat? It's Polly. She likes It's parents. the ideal of adventure. A sailor is always having an adventure. <laughs> A sailor's also always getting his dick wet port to port, you know? Boom! He <laughs> is the wet sailor, after all. <laughs> Unintended. So while Snake Eyes is breakdancing, uh, Lady J and Flint manage to get out of the boiling pink mud. Of romance. Of romance. It's basically like a resort. They were in a bubble bath. Essentially, essentially. That, that's, that was, that's what was going on. And they kind of do a counterattack on Destro. And she has a net error, because why not? Of course <laughs> she has a net error. I mean, that's way more like plausible than a underwater... Bubble error. That has its own propulsion system as well. I mean, yes. that was designed specifically for that kind of use. <laughs> it's like the oh, when cool. I fall into pink quicksand error. Yeah, uh, very convenient. Almost javelin. as if it was written that way. Hmm. She's like, I'm dying to use this. I hope I get to use this one day. <laughs> Flint, get <laughs> in there. Love <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, what happened? You, you left us hanging, Rob. Oh, well, yeah, so she fires the net arrow at, at, at Destro, and they, um, I suppose they do a little bit of tussling. Mm. But then, does it switch then to the City of the Dead? Or yes. Or does it go on from there? Okay, City of the Dead now. Tomax and Zamot are wheeling in the control cube, which has to be positioned inside this temple. Well, you know, they have the GPS coordinates, it has to be exact. Oh. Luckily, the temple inside was big enough to allow them to push it in. And has an opening in the roof to emit the beam. 
emitted by... I know, it doesn't actually. Oh. It rips through the ceiling. Outstanding. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Oh, it's, that's quite alright. Uh, so, Thomas and Zaymart speak of the booby traps that the City of the Dead contain. Very scary. Which is very uh, appropriately tripped by Airtight, the guy who should be the most careful member of the Joe team. Being the chemical, biological, and radiological officer, he manages to complete a scan of the area which tells the Joes absolutely nothing. <laughs> it's low radiation or something. Yeah, I so I can't tell if they're in front of us or behind us, so I am completely useless. Not only is he completely useless at detecting whether Tomax and Zamot are behind or in front of them using his sophisticated scanning equipment, but even when he looks back over his shoulder... He doesn't see the fact that his own green shirts are being spirited away, man by man, by these robotic or mechanical yeah, or... Well, they're kind of like they're... Stone, stone magical alive. stones. They're like golems. Enchanted ceramic soldiers, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He doesn't notice. He actually looks back and he's, as he's talking and he's like, he's, oh, he, and he doesn't notice. It takes roadblock to like completely turn around and go like... Oh, shit! What are these? Yeah, Roadblock, who then subsequently, with a very effective laser rifle in his hand, decides to go at them hand-to-hand. And he's far less effective than his companions, who start blasting with their weapons and manage to make these ceramic soldiers disintegrate. Footloose is packing his signature M16, and Airtight goes to war with his weaponized sniffer. <laughs> yeah. I went and actually animated his the action figure's authentic uh, accessory without realizing that it's not a gun at all. Yeah, he just vacuumed up the disintegrated uh, ceramic soldiers. <laughs> what well, does seem to have a laser <laughs> rifle function because... I'm pretty sure I saw some red laser beams zapping out of the front He was helping out to crush those things. They weren't really much of a threat. Like, you hit them with a laser beam and they're down. I remember buying Airtight back in the day, and when I realized his gun wasn't a gun, I was just completely sour on the character. Like, I was done with him. Because, I mean, he had a mask on. He looked cool, but... I don't know, man. I always thought he looked kind of basic and, and, and uninteresting. I suppose it was his gear that made him and his speciality that set him apart, but as for an exciting figure, he looked kind of dumpy and, and like, almost like a knockoff G.I. Joe. I'd this, expect him to come from, like, the core or something. The sculpt wasn't that sharp, but the, the card art was pretty good. Love I just the card didn't realize art. he was carrying a vacuum. I didn't realize. <laughs> well, it's also cool about the sequence that you actually get to see Eta's face. He kind of actually has it masked down for, for part of the sequence. Like, as they're kind of traveling up this, this section. And he's not a particularly good-looking guy or anything, either. Which is something I I, I put G.I. Joe in high regard for. You know, not every G.I. Joe is a good-looking character. You know, exactly. they're not all good-looking guys. Like, like um, you know? Like one of my favorites. Scoop. No, not Scoop. Yeah, Scoop. But, mm-hmm. I mean, that's based on a real-life person. But um, the Halo guy? Ripcord. Ripcord. He's fucking ugly. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's a really ugly redhead. I mean, but like that's what I like about the character is that he isn't good looking. I mean, other examples. I mean, yeah, like airtight. I mean, not airtight. Is it airtight? Who's actually a whole thing? No, that's not he. 
So the later version of him, where his entire thing comes off, and you see he's like a balding dude with a moustache. Is that it? Yeah, the modern era airtight, yeah. Modern era airtight, but there was a 90s version of... Is it airtight? Hmm. I, I, I'm fascinated. I hope you no, can remember he's got, this No, he's got like curly, curly hair. Like you can see, and he's kind of going a bit balding, and he has the moustache. Because, I mean, it's the same era that Ozone came out in. Oh, 90s. oh, you're talking about Clean Sweep. Clean Sweep, yes. Clean Sweep is another example of a Joe who's not like, you know, a chiseled sort of man god. <laughs> um, he's, he's quite average. Probably less than average. I don't know. Average Joe's. But he's, he's probably got a PhD. <laughs> exactly. He's got the big brains. That's why mm-hmm. he's losing all his hair. <laughs> so did yeah, they defeat exactly. the Walter White, Knights? Did, did they defeat him? Well, in, indeed they did. And um, by blowing them up with a grenade. But as they're moving along, they discover that Tomix and Zamot have found more reanimated uh, uh, ceramic things. Terracotta warriors, ceramic warriors. But now... (laughs) Skeletor with lightsabers. (laughs) Oh, I love those guys. I love the noise they make. They're like... Yeah, the sound design was tight on that. Oh, I love that, that shit, man. Yes. <laughs> Is that going to get a fatal fluffy whistle from you, Cujo? Most likely. One out of five. Nice. Boom. <laughs> These uh, lightsaber-wielding Skeletors are easily dispatched, but it doesn't stop Tomax and Zamut from activating the control cube. Indeed. Before we leave the uh, City of the Dead, they actually managed to capture one of the brothers. They managed to capture Tomax. Mm-hmm. While Zamot escapes, he does say something along the lines of "I'll avenge you" or "I'll come back for you" or something. I'll get you back. I don't, don't know. worry, brother. I'll come for you. <laughs> Indeed. Something else struck me as rather strange. I think there's an exchange between Airtight and Zamot, uh, where once again the twin is suffering because his brother's apparently in dire straits. So he has to explain his malady. <laughs> but when we cut to Zamot basically being held by Roadblock, um, Roadblock's not exactly roughhousing Zamot at all. Roughhousing Termax. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, no, Roadblock I love is those not characters ro- that even I have Yeah, Termax is not being physically roughhoused by Roadblock. But Zamot is not. It's like Zemot's got, got some kind of like phantom limb uh, effect. Like Tom X is like watching him. He's like, stop acting. Come on, dude. Nothing's happening here. Nothing's going on. Quit. I'm not feeling anything. Man. I'm not even getting hurt. Why Why are you doing that? And why are you explaining our weakness Just to the everyone. enemy again? Body massage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> body massage. Ooh. Body massage. But yeah, so uh, just just so that we kind of set up for the next episode. So Tomax is 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 captured, and Zamot escapes. But back at the Mountain of Glass, which is very snowy, we get to see for the first time the bridge layer and toll booth, mm. which is pretty cool. But why do we get to see them? Why why do we need him to make a bridge? Because the Joes need to get up to where Major Blood is. Yes, and how do they get up there? I mean, what, what is the first thing that, that they do when they get there? I think Alpine uh, decides to practice Yodels. his skills. <laughs> <laughs> Audio drop. Of course, 
your burning question is, how can our guys get up that ice wall, correct? Right. Brilliant analysis. Fortunately, I happen to have an equally brilliant solution. Yodel. You got it. The good old Alpine Yodel. Yodel. Look out, yeah. Oh, yodel, oh, yeah. imagine uh somebody having to look at that page and be like why am i saying this like <laughs> it, it's insulting on almost every level to every age like really i imagine I that might have been like the audition piece <laughs> when they were casting the voice it's like okay this character has to yodel in one of his first appearances just just give us a yodel, try and make it your own, do something with it, do something signature with it. And so something sexy. What if Yodel-ay. this particular voice artist <laughs> tag onto the end of his yodel? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, was, <laughs> I was also offended by the fact that he stepped out of cover to do the yodel. Like he almost steps onto a stage where he's like, you know, Land of the masses. So it's physically impossible for any Cobra or G.I. Joe agent to be hit. Very true. Very at true. least at this stage. I mean, we haven't quite gotten into G.I. Joe the movie yet where the rules kind of get bent a little bit. But right now, I mean, there's just a flurry of blinding blue and red laser bolts going everywhere going except everywhere. a piece of vital equipment or a person. Yeah, no one's hitting anything important. And while that's going on, back in the Snake Cafe, uh, Colonel <laughs> Slash Snake. is desperately trying to find these evil G.I. Joe operatives, and he bursts into Saturn's dressing room, where we get the second example of appeal to authority to get the people to leave, where the first one was, you know, oh, these pets belong to Destro. This time, Saturn's biggest fan is Cobra Commander. Yep, she's got a picture in her dressing room and everything. Yes, it, it's very convincing. <laughs> well, is this the uh, first time in the series, the cartoon series, that it's suggested that Cobra Commander is heterosexual? I, I just think so. I mean, it, it's he doesn't show interest in other women, does he? I think to be safe, yeah. this show is not uh, Thundercats or Gachamon, so we know that the bad guys are hetero. Fair enough. I mean, like not to be like I'm not being a dick, just. <laughs> in Thundercats, Mom Ra is a bit of a a queen, and in Gachaman, I mean the Galactor is severely. I don't know. He's just him. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, except Gachaman sure wears like a rag on his head. I mean, he's very androgynous. Well, do you get the impression that Cobra Commander is is into this girl? Like, is he a fanboy of hers, or what, what's going on? I think she completely pulled that out of like the air. She just happens to have yeah. a picture there. Oh, okay. I think I yeah. think that's what's going I... on here, where she's like, "Ah, oh, they'll totally believe me if if I just spin the story." Yeah. So you've opened a can of worms, man. Because I I'm find sorry, it, guys. I find it difficult. No, I like this. I find it difficult thinking of Cobra Commander with a woman now. 
It, you find it, it difficult to think of him with a woman. Have it's, you it's, always it's, assumed? Jo- it's jarring to me to think that he would have concubines or, or a significant other or anything like that. Do you mean, I mean, regardless of, of the sex of the, of the, the person that he's with? What yeah, I, I, I just, I just think of him as asexual. In a convention set, they did come out with, uh, I believe, a set called Tanks for the Memories, and it was like a, a Cobra squad of female officers. So I, love I, those. I think he has his, like, Kim Jong, like, fun squad. Joy Division. Yeah. I mean, he, he's a player. I mean, he has to be a player, right? There was also, uh, in the Devil's Due publishing run on G.I. Joe, uh, he, he has a bevy of prostitutes in his chamber, one of which is actually a, a rogue agent who, like, knees him in the groin and, and lays him low. Hmm. Well, I think the thing, though, in the cartoon that kind of lays this to rest, at least eventually, whether or not he would actually have concubines or not, is that in the film he's revealed to not even be human. Mm-hmm. So his interest in Studly us looking would snake man. not be... I don't think he would actually be interested in human females. Hmm. Or men. Case rest? Alright, sorry yeah, about that Eventually, detail. I mean, you can definitely, at the time, you could have argued this. But um, if once you've seen the film, you're like, nah, he wouldn't really be macking on those females. It would become like, kind of like um, reverse bestiality for him. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's still bestiality. Oh, yeah. To have to mate with the with the ape people. Okay, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Ew. I'd rather have a crab on my dick. <laughs> <laughs> but before we return to uh, the mountain of glass in this episode, we get a cool foreshadowing. Once Colonel Slash is convinced that Saturn is a close personal friend of Cobra Commanders, to be able to get out of this bad neighborhood, it seems that Shipwreck and Snake Eyes are going to have to do a little bit of a Dressing up or cosplaying, I think, to be continued in the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> You're yeah. gonna have to wear the dress, Snake Eyes. Yowza. <laughs> no argument from a mute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he does still have that big knife on his back. Yeah. <laughs> and back at the Mountain of Glass, we get uh, the first, I don't know, is it the first example of Bazooka kind of fucking up? Reinforcing our sort of idea of him being a bit uh, slow. Basically. Yeah, well, yeah, this would be his biggest offense to date, causing an avalanche. Yeah. Alpine comes with a great <laughs> idea while Major Blood and the Cobra troops are being held, you know, kind of like firing at the main Giorgio force. He comes with the brilliant idea of sneaking up behind Major Blood and kind of like, you know, kind of doing a kind of coming up from, from, from behind maneuver. Wow. <laughs> was anybody else offended by the nickname that he gave like bazook uh, like what it's one it's only no, one letter like shorter it. yeah you're just kind of you're like what's going on here Ship's this guy is so bad. obsessed with his personal style that he makes up these nicknames that are just you're kind nothing. of pointless you should have called him baz i mean or like uka i don't know yeah uka would probably suit him more <laughs> hey uka Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just bad. So Bazooka messes up this entire plan of Alpines. And they end up in their own little avalanche, which is not caused by yodeling. <laughs> and they're in a bad position. In a really bad position. Bazooka hurts himself. 
and he's not he's not only able to um, sort of stand up, he can't walk either. And his friends got to carry him. But it's snowing quite a bit, so they kind of walk in the wrong direction. And Storm Shadow, who now suddenly appears out of nowhere, accompanied by two very awesome-looking snow serpents, he's like, "We will take care of them." And suddenly, snow serpents. <laughs> and Bazooka and Alpine wander out into like a, a little peninsula of ice, and Storm Shadow zaps them out, and they go floating into this ocean. And mm-hmm. they're like, oh no, we're going to... Oh, Should we shoot them? No, let the elements take care of them. Let the elements take care <laughs> of them. Anybody feel like John Chu uh, wrote this shit? Anyway, carrying on. <laughs> <laughs> so they set off into the elements, but it's not bad enough that they might be killed by the cold. Um, suddenly they are attacked by gigantic evil seals. That's Costed by sea lions. It is insane. Although those things are like... Fuck of dangerous though. Hey. Yeah, fucking not... scary. Well, they did, the, the storyboard was not that bad for that closeout scene, the cliffhanger, because the the sea lion comes right up to the camera, eats the camera. That bloody cartoon cameraman did not survive that. No, that's a good shot. Oh. The demon seals. Demon seals. Yeah. Leopard seals. <laughs> <laughs> With their black, black, black possessed eyes. Yes, they're evil. Like like before that, you're like, ah, oh, they're clubbing seals. That's really bad. And then you see these seals, and you're like, shit, I would club a fucking seal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, they got, like, the Michael Myers of seals right here. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> Riding the ice flow with them. But backing yeah. up ever so slightly, there's a rather curious little exchange that Alpine has as he emerges from the avalanche and kind of digs himself out, dusts off the snow. He says, now I know how frozen peaches feel. Where was he going with that? Sticky and sweet, maybe? Like, <laughs> now I know how frozen peaches feel. Like, well, frozen, yeah. Hard. And, no um, and, and Orange. And at the same time, supple, so kind of like soft, but rock hard at the same time. <laughs> Chubby, <laughs> several inches in diameter. I don't know. Short. Chubby and several inches wide. in diameter. Well, diameter. I mean, it's not very... Peaches aren't very... Long, but they're quite wide. He so might have been referring to. You know, while we're on this page, <laughs> what about Destro's dazedly attack on Lady J, with these uh Doctor Octopus tentacles? Yes, 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 yes. Crazy man. Yeah. Well, the cube is pretty capable of defending itself. Very much so, but only Clearly. once it's in, you know, almost in position. Before then, it's about as useful as a as a Pope's balls. You know what I mean? Essentially, yeah. But yeah, by the end of the yeah. episode. Two of the cubes are activated. The one in the... Um, <laughs> the Devil's Playground. Devil's Playground one, which it releases them once it activates. And the City of the and Damned. And the City of the Damned. But the one in the Mountain of Glass is not activated yet. Ooh. What but held it up? The Avalanche? It pr- well, I'm not sure what held it up. Story, story writing held it up. <laughs> Were you offended, or did Major Blood's introduction do anything for you in this show? He kind of just appeared very, like, randomly. But, I mean, I think he was, at least the character himself in the cartoon, he had been featured in the previous met him before. miniseries. His voice was shrill, and he had a lot of energy. He, he sounded like a really nervous character. Yeah. And also the thing is, they couldn't do, like, what his file card says, which he does, like, rhyming and stuff, because Roadblock already has that. So all he really has is the kind of, like, very slight Australian accent. 
kind of comes and goes. Yeah, I'm not sure what uh, Major Blood's nationality is meant to be when you watch the cartoon. You're not sure if he's like Australian or if he's British. I have one other thing to add. The Joes uh, have met with defeat in the Devil's Playground, but they've met with victory, as far as I'm concerned, in the City of the Dead. Uh, the Cobra has evacuated. Zaymart uh, has fled, leaving the Joes with Tomax in their custody. Why can't they get to work disabling the control cube somehow? I mean, does that energy field prohibit any kind of tampering? This was just not explained at all. Yeah, it doesn't like to be fun. Yeah. That's a big loophole. I mean, actually, now that you mention it, it seems like once it's activated, they're like, oh, shit, we can't do anything. Damn, man. Yeah. They, they don't actually, yeah, you're right, they don't go back to that. They don't go, why can't we attack these things? It's like, once it's activated, eh, it's done. Let's move on to the next location. Cobra won this one. Yeah. Hmm. And I think that's all I've got on this episode. Excellent. Now we can hear what Cujo's highs and lows are. Hmm. Well, and a low. considering the entire miniseries as an arc, uh, high point, low point, I'll keep it the same thing. Snake Eyes showing out on the dance floor. Timber backing him up. That's pretty cool. But... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's an introduction to taking the series in a way that is completely un-American, uh, hero-ish. And uh, oh, there was also the kick line. I believe they dropped three Cobra soldiers with a coordinated kick line. So, I mean, there's that. But, uh, yeah, uh, high, and point, high and low are both uh, Snake Eyes spinning on his back. Interesting. <laughs> I like it. Paul, highs and lows. For me, I really like The City of the Dead. I enjoy the fact that it takes this miniseries back to the same territory as the previous ones, where it takes us to a an interesting locale, an interesting exotic locale. And the battle there is quite cool, and, you know, we actually get to see them shoot something directly, and, and it crumbles. So that, that was a high point for me. I enjoyed the action there. A low point for me, Alpine and Bazooka. It's just... It's bad. Yeah. I don't really discriminate a lot when it comes to characters. I mean, I'm I pretty much like most characters, and then I love some characters, but I don't even own figures of Bazooka or Alpine. That should say something, okay? Aside from the fact that Alpine is really difficult to get hold of modern era, but still, you know, I haven't pursued it. You know what I mean? So like, these are characters that the cartoon still hasn't sold to me, and this miniseries, so far, they're not sold to me at all, and they're a low point of this episode for me even more so than breakdancing snake eyes and Saturn's song hey now Saturn's song was it was interesting I, I like that they're actually introducing music into this it, it is weird but I mean obviously you know Ron Friedman he put a little effort into those sort of lyrics and they you know they went through the whole effort of finding someone to sing it and actually make it into a song so I appreciate uh, that kind mm-hmm. of work that they put into it you guys alluded to the fact that it did feel like a Nazi occupation so I mean like it makes sense that the pop music would be like, oh, we have to pay homage to the you know, the leader or else, you know, Slash or whatever is going to do them then. Propaganda. Uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that kind of Gestapo feel propaganda. Yeah, very much so. I'd say 1984, but it's not. <laughs> it's integral to the nice. running of a place like uh, Enterprise City, a Cobra-controlled mm. city. All your problems that you would have had in Springfield of keeping the population in line but multiplied to a massive, massive extent. So, yeah, you need a very effective urban police force and, like, an absolutely indoctrinated population. Mm-hmm. Though it looked like a lot of the population were, like, undesirables. 
which I find interesting yeah. because, like, I've always thought of Cobra as a more fascist organization that, I suppose, um, wanted purity and, and order through tyranny. But I suppose they have to attract the more undesirable uh, elements of society because... Somebody's got to clean the toilets. Absolutely. And somebody's got to pick up a, an assault rifle and, and join join the line. Well, the uh, way I saw it was that it was more of a bad neighborhood. I mean, they kind of set it up as a bad neighborhood with them kind of walking through the alleyways and see these kind of dangerous elements as they make their way to the, towards the cafe. And in the first episode, you kind of they set up the you know the metropolis. So you do actually see people who are working in 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 skyscrapers. You know, with that beautiful animation shot with the with the paper going out the window. So there are different levels of society here in the city. So I mean, this isn't indicative of the entire society. But do they all have like Cobra credit cards? Probably do. I mean, it's mm. Enterprise City, after all. <laughs> do I, they know who they're working say, for but, ultimately? I think. It seems pretty obvious. I mean, yeah, certainly they have a pop singer singing, singing about the Cobra that got away with a, a picture of Cobra Commander, and she knows that this will hold some sway yeah, with the I think, I think most of the people in the city do know what's going on, and the the more accepting you are of it, I suppose, the higher you move up in society. Well, I don't know. I think you just kind of accept that this is the government of your city. I think you gentlemen need to watch uh, They Live Again. It's been too long. Yes, yes, I actually should do it. <laughs> Steven's never watched it. I should bring it. I'll bring. I'll make him watch it, it on Saturday. It breaks my heart. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. He has to watch it. Well, that, that's we will that's society him. in a nutshell. You might as well sell out for the winning team. Steven. I'm having difficulty uh, deciding on a high and a low for this episode because I feel like I'd be repeating myself. Mm. Part of me wants to say uh, the further excavation of the society that makes up Enterprise City. We've spoken about that just now. We spoke about it uh, in the first episode. That was my sort of high point. I'm not going to repeat that as a high point for this episode. That said, the set pieces, the battles, weren't particularly a high point for me. I like more vehicular action, and that was pretty lacking on this one. It was a lot of stand and shoot your lasers, or yodel, (laughs) Or combination of the two. I think this was the animated show that introduced a few really cool things. The Snow Serpents being one of them. Lovingly designed with their AK-47s, their authentic weapons. That's cool. And also the fact that they used Footloose's authentic weapon in his character design and air tights, even though it's not a laser gun. We spoke about that already. But I think my favorite element from this episode is the fact that it's a lighthearted one. I'm going to do something very out of character for myself. But the oh. fact that Snake Eyes sucks at the can-can. <laughs> He's screwing it up. Like, we got a dancing dog and a parrot flapping around and, you know, Shipwreck, the sailor, like, tough dude, smuggler, you know, wisecracker, nailing his dance routine with satin. And Snake Eyes just can't get his shit together, which is what makes him break dance, which will forever be the Pyramid of Darkness's lasting addition to the G.I. Joe mythos. But just that moment where it's evident that Snake Eyes just ain't cutting it. So he he cuts loose, starts freestyling, you know, a furious six-step into a a windmill, into a backspin, and then hyping the crowd, as we said before, which... Incidentally, is my low point. 
Uh, I'm a fan of b-boying. I mean, who isn't? But, like, having the Silent Ninja do that? Disgusting. Uh, We have some more offenses by ninjas uh, down the stretch, I believe. Well, I can't wait to get into that. But (laughs) it seems to be Snake Eyes' major contribution to the G.I. Joe animated show. Everyone remembers how cool he is from the other comic book series, but as far as the cartoon is concerned, Snake Eyes' most memorable moment is the time he breakdanced on stage at the Snake Club. Amen. Yuck. (laughs) Friends don't let friends yodel. That's, that's what you learned. <laughs> well, yeah, so the yodeling would be my low point. I just, it was ridiculous. And my high point, actually, it was stupid. You can't, it can't be, you can't disagree. My high point was just the kind of visual comedy of those statues taking away the green shirts as, as the kind of like the name Joe's talk of the front. Like, oh, something, you know, something in these places are so creepy. And, and you can just see the comedy of these guys getting like manhandled and pulled away until finally they notice that the statues are like right there. And they're like, oh shit, yeah. what are we doing? It's nice when you get this sort of subtlety as opposed to like them always projecting. Shoot first. Yeah, shoot first, but also kind of always um, telegraphing everything that they're doing. Not only are you seeing what they're doing or what a character is doing, but he's always he's telling you as he's doing it. You know, like, oh my god, there's an avalanche, and this avalanche is actually happening. In this moment, it was just sort of like a, you know, wide shot. You just see this thing happening. If you hadn't been paying attention to that part of the screen and just listening to what they're saying, you would not have picked up that the the rest of their their comrades had been taken away. And I like that. I like the subtlety of that. So, Stephen, how many stars are you giving this? I'm going to give this the same score I gave the previous episode because it was equally mediocre and didn't really do anything crazy other than breakdancing ninjas. So this one's going to get two and a half demon leopard seals from me. Demon leopard seals this time. Nice. Nice pelts. Boom. Okay, Paul. Uh, This is going to get two terracotta warriors from me. Woo! Terracotta (laughs) warriors. Nice. Yeah. Like it. When your non-GI Joe fans rag you about Snake Eyes breakdancing, yeah, you can't help but bear a little bit of uh, resentment towards the episode. <laughs> Good point. I think I'm going to weigh in with a uh, 3.5. Just because in this arc, this is arguably the strongest episode. You get introduced to Flint and Lady J acknowledging each other's affections. And then, and then, you know, uh, the dancing number is what it is, but uh, it's better than what lies ahead. So there's that. Ominous. <laughs> yeah. And I think that this this episode in general is is kind of other than the yodeling, it seems to be an improvement of what I've seen before. So I'm actually kind of slowly warming to this, but I'm not warming enough that I'm going to give it half. So I'm giving it a two. <laughs> it's got a two. Also, they got shipwrecked to dance, and he didn't quit. He's always up for it. And he was in love with with Saturn. So that gives us... He was in there. He was like, geez, if I can do this, I can get into Saturn. He's trying to save the world. That's the important thing. Saturn pants. So this is the highest rated episode by far with a 2.5 on average. Mm. Excellent. Yeah, 2.5 Demon Leopard Seal Terracotta Warriors Skeletor Clone with Lightsaber. Whistles. (laughs) Out of five. (laughs) 
I've got other things. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of the third episode of this this fant. Well, I'd be lying if I said it was fantastic, but it's certainly fascinating miniseries in the Jojo cartoon series. Uh, 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 squad. <laughs> turn me up a little bit. Haha, what you know about it? Haha, what you know about it? Uh, uh, I said it hip hop, the hip it, the hip it, the hip hip hop, and you don't stop. I rock on, baby, bubble to the boogie, the bang bang, the boogie to the boogie, the bee. Now, what you hear is not a test, I'm a rapper to the bee. Three entitled Three Cubes to Darkness. That's it for this episode. Tune in this time tomorrow where we take a trip to chaos. In the sea of lost souls, where it all fucking goes down. Goes down. It goes so down. I'm excited about it. Are you excited? I'm I'm like over the moon. I'm excited. It's not the vodka and coke talk. This is me. (laughs) I'm like, yes, let's do this. Right now, guys, I'm itching to do a six step. Oh, I'm. What six lines of coke? What again? Uh, I would do a six step, but I can't. There's no space in this room. Damn, man. How about a windmill or or a worm? You know, kick it old school. <laughs> oh no, I still that. Yeah, no, I can rock a worm, but damn. <laughs> oh, and on that note, see you guys tomorrow. Good night. Good night. Coming home late one dark afternoon Before the stop, before an interview She said she heard stories and she heard favorites And the misses on the mic and the turntables This young reporter I did adore Stop rocking through this rhyme like I never did before She said, damn fly guy, I'm in love with you Said the castle of a legend must have been true I said, by the way baby, what's your name? She said, I go by the name of Lois Lane And you can be my boyfriend, you truly can Just let me cook my boyfriend called Superman I said, he's a fairy, I do suppose Flying through the air and pantyhose he may be very sexy or even cute But he look like a sucker in a blue and red suit I said I need a man who got finesse And his whole name across his chest He may be able to fly all through the night But he can't rock a party through the early light He can't satisfy you with his little worm But I can bust you out with my super scroll I go do it, I go do it I go do it, do it, do it And I'm here, and I'm there And I'm big baddie and I'm everywhere